Hello, and welcome to Pacific Roots Magazine podcast. This episode features Carrie Basha of Bohomofo. Carrie Basha is a writer and currently lives by the ocean on the wild New South Wales coast and works online with clients all over the world. She blogs regularly on the dance of the planets and the stuff that stirs our collective soul via her Bohomofo social media channels. All right, here we go. Hello, Carrie. Hello. I am meeting with Carrie Basha in Australia. Am I saying your last name correct? Basha? Yep. Yep. Uh, 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 in Australia for the second podcast episode of Pacific Roots. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be meeting with you. Uh, I want to first give a little prelude of how I came. I came across your work first on Instagram and now I'm following you on all, on all accounts. Uh, you're, I think just a tremendous, brilliant writer. And I now look regularly to your posts um, to stay in with the currents, <laughs> the um, astrological currents, but life currents and yes, self-care. It's been a tremendous influence in my life. So that happened in, I believe, oh, 2019, right? And so, or, or possibly 2018. But yes, it's been, um, it's been uh, as we have talked about before, curating your media diet. It's always very special to come across um, a writer or you know, some type of creative who is putting out regular regular work and messages that are truly enriching. So I want to thank you too. Oh, thank you. That's so lovely to hear. Thank you. And as we spoke, we might start doing these regularly. So listeners can, can be tuning in to, to hear uh, podcasts with Carrie on a monthly basis. Yeah. So let's just dive right in. Well, I think I think a monthly basis is just a better idea because of how significant each month is going to feel this year. Um, where this is this is transition writ large. This is our old world crumbling. I mean, or in my case, on fire. So uh, this is this is our world rebirthing. But as anyone any one of us who knows from the birth portal. Labour is painful, transition is difficult, and birth can sometimes be a bloody, you know, a bloody messy business. So um, the result is beautiful, and we absolutely love it. But I, I think we just have to be conscious of the fact that that's the energy that we're dealing with at the moment, and and they're hard yards. They're really hard yards. A birth metaphor um, to think of it as contractions as well. That actually helps. I've used the metaphor of oceans and continuous waves and having to dive and dive and dive, but the contraction mm -hmm. is a helpful metaphor too, birth. Yeah, and I, I, th I mean, I think as well, you know, and I mean, certainly this has been something that I've personally been really struggling with because, you know, although the, the wildfires have the world's attention now, um, they've been burning since the end of last year. So they've been burning in, in some places. I think the first time it really flared badly for us in Queensland was as far back as October. So this has been, you know, some of that big picture of Australia that people are posting with all the red everywhere and that sort of thing, that, that doesn't actually give you the full scale because that kind of shows you what's on fire now rather than everything that's already come before as well. So, 
Australians have been at fever pitch with this and horrified by what we're seeing on the news for months and months now. And it's just rolling through our country, which is enormous, you know, we're a continent. These are vast distances that are hard for people to conceptualise if they haven't been here or lived here. You know, we, we have a huge amount of country here and the, the fires are just mowing through it, taking everything in their path. Okay. And that's why we've lost, that's why we've lost the species that we have. That's why we've lost the habitat that we have. And then, of course, the human cost. We've, we've lost lives. Um, we've lost some of our incredible volunteers who have been at the front line, you know, giving up their lives, fighting other people's, for, for other people's houses and for fires. I mean, you know, our, our RFS, and this is incredible to realise, but our rural fire service is volunteer-based. Some of these people have been fighting fires for other people and not getting paid and not in their own work and in their own lives for months and months and months. So the actual cost of it, and that's, that's part of what Australians are very angry at our government about, because there has been a systematic denial of the need for fire safety our fire chiefs have been trying to get through to this government for a really long time and it's very well documented. And because our government is so tethered to oil and coal, um, as is our economy now, and we are, you know, we're the biggest exporter of, I, I can't even tell you the shame I feel saying this as an Australian, but we are, we're out in front when it comes to absolutely desecrating the planet because of our energy policy and because of our refusal to look at climate change. Our, our Prime Minister, when the fires started and for months, has just refused to talk about it. It's just a non-question. And this is in the face of a population that is baying for his blood because of it. Um, and it's because so much of that is influenced by Murdoch media and the Murdoch line is, is denial. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's such a sense at the moment in Australia of this enormous gap between real people and their lives and governance that doesn't give a shit. You know, everybody in Australia feels quite abandoned by the people who we put in charge to lead and look after us. And of course, nobody wants to own that in much. So it reminds me of the American example where nobody voted for Trump and yet there he is sitting in the Oval Office and threatening to send the world to war um, on Twitter. God almighty. It's just, <laughs> but this is what I mean. Like the, the, the dystopia that we are descending into and the idiocracies that we're living in are just, Staggering. They're absolutely staggering. And, you know, the, the thing that I think is so difficult is that our, and, and I've been writing a lot about this on my pages, I've, um, I've found my regular programming very disrupted in terms of the astrology and what I'd normally be writing in the middle of eclipse season and everything that's going on with that. It's, it's been completely disrupted because the Australians are sitting in front of their TVs or phones or whatever it is, trying to work out what's on fire, trying to work out what's going to go next, trying to work out if friends and family are okay, trying to follow these 
grossly underfunded apps that just don't update in real time and don't give you as much information as you need. And that's not the fault of the RFS or the apps. I want to be clear about that. That's absolutely all of the funding that has been withdrawn from them as recently as last year by this government. So the, the amount of under-resourcing is huge. And what it's doing is it's sending Australians into this sustained traumatic nervous system response. So we're all at fever pitch all the time. And I actually think this is one of the things that we're seeing rolling through the world. I was writing the other day about how, you know, even if we think we're terribly modern and highly technical, not us, obviously, everybody else. Um, but even if we think that we're, you know, highly technical and terribly modern, the way our biological systems are built is to be connected to the earth that we live upon. You know, we respond to light and dark. We respond to changes in seasons and weather and all of that sort of thing. And we might live in these climate controlled environments and we might think we've mastered nature but it's hardwired into our bodies. So when you have this kind of ecological catastrophe, there's no way we're not feeling it. You know, we're, we're the same as other species. We sense danger. You know, we have an automatic alarm when we smell smoke. We have, you know, we, when, we, when we are out in temperatures that feel absolutely exorbitant and beyond what is livable and what is manageable, that's wired into us. So at the moment, what that's doing to our nervous systems is sending us right into that fight or flight response and continually kind of keeping us at that fever pitch. And the thing is, it's such a, it's such a double-edged sword because you do, in a sense, need to, you need to feel that. You, you need to be able to feel that. You need to feel it for it to be able to move through you. But you need to feel the emotions like anger and like fury in order for them to galvanise action you to take action and make change at the same time you can't get so just destroyed by it and I totally put my hand up as the person who did that over new year um you get so destroyed by it and then you can't do anything you know it shuts you down so so I think we all are gonna have to get really good in this new normal at learning how to regulate our nervous systems in the face of chaos and in the face of crisis and in the face of disaster because we're looking down the barrel of a massive year of it and that's you know whether you talk about having a sense of it i can point to it in astrology but i think it doesn't actually matter which lens you look through i think we've been building to this tipping point for quite some time across and yeah. yeah it's across whatever realm you're working in you can you can sense it yeah 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 um, uh, we already mentioned that we would focus with the astrology, bring the focus on, on January, but I wanted to ask you very quickly, um, reflecting on 2019, I see all over the place. Of course, there's people that had great years, but it was, I think, on the collective note, there's, it's undeniable. It was a bizarre year. I'm seeing a lot of people mentioning how bizarre their 2019 was. Um, and for me, I, I do feel like I... I'm so busy focusing on what you just spoke about and catching my breath and action and harnessing this energy um, to be focused. I'm very excited about this year, but there's a lot of wild energy um, in the air and in my body. I, I really do feel it. But reflecting, I, I want to reflect on 2019, but I feel I just have no time and no no presence. To do it. It's very, it feels very tricky, but it feels like there's so much there. Yeah. And, and, and a big part of that is the fact that, you know, eclipse season started with a bang on Christmas Day 
or Boxing Day, which was right at the end of the year sort of thing. So at the time where we might perhaps be moving into holiday mode and would take that time to kind of, you know, let the year settle in and, and work out, you know, our word for next year or whatever it is that people decide to do, you know. I mean, for us at that point, everything was on fire. Uh, but I think as well in, in terms of in terms of the astrology, um, yeah, we were, we were just, that to me was kind of when the year flipped, where we went from, from 2019 to 2020, even though the calendar hadn't. That was the start of the process that we're ratcheting to now, uh, next Monday for me and be next Sunday for you, um, which is going to be this next eclipse and the fabled Saturn-Pluto conjunction, um, you know, it's going to feel like the end of the world as we know it, um, or certainly the beginning of the end anyway. Um, and so, yeah, th there hasn't been a time. This is not one of those years where you sort of ease into January and feel your way into it and it feels like everything doesn't really get started till February. No, not one of them. <laughs> not even a little bit. What is the stable, did you say Saturn-Pluto conjunction? Yeah, so that's something that um, astrologers have been talking about for a really long time. Um, as I said the other day in one of my posts, unfortunately, astrologers seem to be regarded a little bit like climate scientists at the moment in that nobody listens to them. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the, it's actually, it's really difficult to talk about and write about this astrology without actually sounding catastrophic without without because it is that kind of um of an impact um it's something that hasn't happened in capricorn for over 500 years capricorn is very much about restructuring and getting our foundations right and what's happening at the moment is we're seeing underlined what we're moving away from and the reason that we're moving away from it is as as you say what i think was really going on last year and why it's felt like such a Shit, crazy year is because that was the start of the curtain being pulled back like now we're starting to have it yanked but the um even towards the end of 2018 um and and 2019 um a lot of those shadows started to breach the surface either in our own lives on the world stage or you know both at the same time um and so because of that we've been sort of getting that sense of I can't look away, it's happening right now, I have no choice but to deal with it, you know, that sort of stuff, that kind of mindset has been around for a while now. So when you're in that, it's very hard to put it in context. We're very good at doing this stuff in hindsight. We've had time to catch our breath and we can draw conclusions. But when you're actually in it, it's very difficult because sometimes we don't know the moment that our life changes until afterwards because at the time you know we're not really we're not really sort of across it because it's usually something massive is going on so yeah so it, it's sort of how it worked last year and and we don't get time to catch our breath and we didn't get time to catch our breath for a lot of last year either and we were um, with this south node in Capricorn as it still is now we were just constantly plunged into our past constantly plunged into those shadows so you know the stuff that we 
have been denying or ignoring or dissociating from uh, had was just started knocking at the door going, you know I'm not going away, right? So <laughs> just kept bouncing up. Did you refer to the 19-year tickler in a recent post too? Well, um, if you could touch on that. That's about, that's about eclipse cycles. So um, eclipses happen every six months and they come in a pair. Uh, sometimes we have more than the, the pair. Sometimes you'll get a set of three like we did last year. Um, eclipses happen on new moons and full moons. Uh, and... They work with a longer lunar cycle. They happen on an axis that's a mathematically generated point called the moon's nodes. Um, and planets have these nodes. They're kind of like poles, north and south sort of thing. So the, the south node and the north node, we have it in our astrological chart and then we have it in the, in the sky as well. Um, but it's not visible, but you can see it and find it and calculate it. Um, and the, I mean, the North Node is sort of the portent of destiny, I guess, and the South Node is the idea that that's sort of what you come in with. Some astrology used to posit the fact that the journey is from the South Node to the North Node, and that's the journey of your life. But actually, it's a journey of integration. You know, if the South Node is the sum total of the knowledge that your soul's coming in with, I mean, that's not to be chucked over the back of the head. You've probably fought quite hard for that. So you want to keep that and build upon it and move towards your North Node. So the nodes are always opposite each other in the, in the astrological chart. At the moment, the South Node is in Capricorn, which means the North Node's in Cancer. Um, that will change after the next set of eclipses and move to the Sagittarius-Gemini axis. These things take, uh, these, these sort of series of eclipses on the nodes often take sort of two to three years. But the thing is, when we look at moon cycles and the way the moon moves through and moves around, um, the 19 year is, when, is the echo of whatever the eclipse is, it also happened 19 years before. So I'm a, I'm a, have always been an ardent student of history. I absolutely love it. I had a brilliant history teacher at school who taught us that those who refuse to remember their past are condemned to repeat it, as we are seeing on the world stage right now. And if you, if you can, if you can feel and see the, for me using astrology as a language, if you can feel and see the echoes in your life, it starts to paint a clearer picture for you of the issues, particularly given that when you look at um, a chart personally, um, you know, you have particular themes emerging and particular relationships as well. So it's, it's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating, which is why it's been around for so many thousands of years. Right. That's good information to get a better knowledge about eclipses. And I, it seems like there's a lot of discussion about eclipses right now. So what because is we're in it. Because we're between eclipses. We had, we had the solar eclipse, which was the new moon in Capricorn. That was on Christmas Day or Boxing Day, depending where you live. And then the next one is um, Sunday, Monday, depending where you live that's coming up and that's the full moon in Cancer. So that's highly emotional, full moon, highly emotional. And uh, following hot on the heels of that is some really revolutionary astrology, including the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So, yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. You can't underestimate it. And for me, as someone who obviously reads 
constantly about astrology and is deeply connected and fascinated to it. It's just at the point where all of us astrologers, our voices are starting to go up an octave. <laughs> you can you can hear it. <laughs> well, we are really. It's good to have some humor about it all. I mean, oh my God, humor's going to become a superpower this year. I, I, I mean, I'm from a family that encourages a, a bit of wry laughter and a bit of a dark sense of humor. Um, and and you know, I think I think it's as part of the new balance that we're going to have to learn this year. Um, yeah, a little bit of wry humour. I mean, I know for me, instead of starting my day with the full tilt horror of what I can see on the news when I wake up or when I look at my phone for the first time, um, I also make sure there's a couple of really, really fabulous uh, satirical newspapers and websites that exist in Australia and they're brilliant and they poke fun beautifully. I mean, Scott Morrison's nickname has become ScoMo or Smoko, and a lot of that is because of these satirical sites in Australia. And I'm so glad that that month's gonna stick. <laughs> this is important, and speaking of when you wake up, um, I had to learn, it was a, it was a few years ago, um, we were just leaving the US, the most recent election had happened, and my media diet was was really out of control, sort of my, my media consumption, not in not in and of itself, but how I was consuming media. It was um, mm. the news. And so I really, and you and I have spoken about this, I really mm. worked hard to curate. For example, I, I like checking on your e-post regularly. There's, there's a comfort with the rhythm at that e-post where all readers can be very familiar that you're going to post every few days, every couple days. Um, but also knowing that I can't, I don't need to be checking the news cycle 10 times a day. <laughs> you know, there, there, it can yeah. work to, uh, at least I don't work um, in, in uh, politics. So maybe I don't need to be checking up on that so frequently, but there can mm. be this difficulty to pull your eyes away from it. But it is an aspect of self-care too, uh, for a lot of us. Absolutely. And, and I think as well, our, our morning routines, it's one of the things that I've found hardest. Absolutely. Um, the big difference for me is that I don't sleep with my phone next to my head. Um, my phone doesn't live in my bedroom. Um, so that actually stops me waking up and grabbing it as well. Um, and, you know, I spend a lot of time in my garden. So, um, Watering, we have water restrictions and you need to water before certain times or after certain times. Um, and so that's, you know, my plants are absolutely my priority over my phone. And so uh, that's a that's a big priority as well. Um, and, you know, I've got animals that need to be let out and that sort of stuff. So I think, yeah, I think part of uh, one of the most effective parts of self-care can really be looking at that morning routine because I know that when I get lazy about it or I've got my phone next to me because I have to wake up early or something like that happens, uh, it just blows up my day. It really does. And, and watching, you know, I think because, because our socials are such a time vacuum, they just, it just, they just eat time. And you don't actually really know anything more than you did when you started. So I, I think actually understanding the mechanism of how we become addicted to that, understanding the mechanism of how it controls us is really key to releasing its hold on you. 
um, it's, it's really quite insidiously built. And so it becomes really important to, yeah, to understand that, I think. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people who thinks that knowledge is power. If I don't know how something works, I go and look it up. If I don't understand something, I go and read about it. And so when I can't work out how to do something, that's the same, <laughs> the same mechanism. I'm watching this too much. How the hell do I stop? You know, and so I work it out and then I do it. Well, I like that you mentioned your garden and then also tending to your animals um, because this was something you also mentioned in some of your recent writing as a devotion, your devotional to earth and, and having that as a daily process. And uh, I love, I live in the middle of a city, but there's some wonderful parks and I've got my kids. I go to the playgrounds. I love to walk on dirt and I love the trees here. I take pictures of the trees. I just spend time with the trees. But so I think this is also another aspect of self-care even if you don't have a garden this um, devotional to absolutely and I, I think as well I mean there's a few things there the the first thing is that you know being grounded and being earthed you know we we know that taking a walk through a forest is ridiculously good for our heads and ridiculously good for our soul and and you know although I'm sure there's science behind it now there's a shitload of us who knew that beforehand um we know as well that that nature is hardwired into our bodies so working with nature hands in soil feet on the ground makes a massive difference I, can I just say as well I love your photos of trees as well I take millions of photos of trees everywhere I go to so I love seeing trees overseas as well um, I, I just think you know having a connection to nature is really important building that connection in our children is really important and as someone who identifies as a witch, it would be ludicrous for me not to have a connection to nature, although there are a lot of people who identify that way who don't. You know, witchcraft is, is about, pulls from paganism, even though there might be different branches of it. It tends to pull from paganism and the paganism is about the love of nature. It's about yeah. a respect and a stewardship for nature. And I think given the... Oh, the massive ecological crisis that we are in that is absolutely a tipping point for our world. You know, so often when big things happen like this, we, we look to, what, to our leaders or we look to somebody to <laughs> do something, you know, or to be guided. But actually this is the kind of change that has to start from the ground up. We need to become mindful about how we live and how we live in, in tandem with nature. And I think, you know, tending to or stewarding your little part of the world is really, really important. Being conscious of how much plastic you have in your life and what you do with it. Being conscious of your personal ecological footprint. Yeah, we want oil companies and governments and anyone who's actually got their hands on the keys to the kingdom. Of course, we, we need that to happen because that, reduces the scale of the disaster but I think it's important to not underestimate the power of every single person making an individual effort in their corner of the world you know we forget that democracies are built on people that there is strength in numbers and that actually the only way if you look at history the only way oh, everyone say hi to my cat who's just decided to come in and shout at us um, the only way that the world changes and evolves is usually through war and revolution. Now, we 
a, a lot of us, particularly in the Western world, if we haven't been involved in the armed forces or it hasn't touched us specifically because the theatres of war have tended to be outside our countries, then we don't necessarily have too much of an experience beyond the horror of it that we see on the news, a horror that we are grossly desensitised to because it's all of our media and all of our movies and all of our video games. So it doesn't have that impact that it does. And I think that very much shows sometimes in how we treat our refugees because <laughs> there but for the grace of God go we. We haven't had to run for our lives with only what we could grab at the time. And so I, I think it's it's really important to understand that human civilization tends to change through war and revolution. And we've never had to live through that. And it's bloody and there's a huge cost and there's a massive toll and things always feel really dark and like we're, you know, at the tipping point in the story. And it is that horror and that fear that actually galvanizes change. You know, activism is, a, is, is righteous rage. It's a form of anger. You know, the emotion we're all told is really bad and we're not allowed to have it. Actually, that's the basis of revolution. And unfortunately, too, the basis of war. I like that you brought up, um, well, we look to leadership, but of course, uh, we need to look to our own little corner of the world and our communities. And also bringing up paganism, sure. I want to mention now the coven for any listeners who might be interested in um, oh, I love the coven. Oh, I love our coven. I love it. I love it. I love it. Listeners, I, I, I have joined um, Carrie's coven. And of course, when I post this, I'll have links to everything. So for listeners who are curious, um, they can check in about joining that as well. Um, again, for me, very so enriching to my life. And it's um, I'm, I'm very yeah. you started it. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I can't tell you how enriching it is to my life to be in there with all of you as well. I just adore the coven. I wish I'd done it years ago. Um, the, the thing that it's becoming and that it's turning into, because I love the way these things, you know, evolve by themselves, but the thing that it's really turning into, I mean, a, a coven traditionally is a group of witches. That's what your coven is. And obviously, depending whether you buy into the Catholic version or the Disney version or whatever version of witches it is, you know, most people picture a bunch of naked chicks running around the moon. But no, a coven is really, a coven is, <laughs> why not? We might, not to say that we won't. Um, a coven, you know, was, a coven always had very strict rules about it in terms of numbers and ritual and when and all of that sort of thing. So. The idea for me of the coven is that it was an online community, so building a community. Um, you don't have to be a witch to be in the coven, but certainly it's worth having an interest in it because I bang on about it a lot. Um, but what the coven has become is an exploration of spirituality and human beings need their spirit nourished as much as their body and their mind. And especially if we're talking about all the towers that are falling at the moment in the world. One of the big ones that's fallen over is organised religion. It used to be that you could trust the church and state, and now we look at both of them and just think it's a hotbed of criminals. So because of that, we are actually being kind of, we're pushing to develop our own relationship to spirituality. And you see that 
um, you know, there's many paths to that destination and none of them are right or wrong. But I think it's important to work out what feels right for you. Now, for me, that's, that's the framework of, rich, of witchcraft because I see it as very based in nature and I'm very based in nature. So to me, it was a spiritual framework that just made shitloads of sense. I'd always gone out and stared at the full moon. I'd always noticed all of these things. So to me, it just, it fit like a glove when I came across it. Um, it's something that I find as a beautiful practice. It really connects me to seasons and to the earth and to cycles and to energy. I really enjoy that part of it. But I, I just see the the beautiful collective and the community that we're creating there as, a, as that wonderful thing that happens when a bunch of women come together, as that uh, gorgeous way of exploring your relationship to spirituality and devotion and, and, and stewardship in your own little corner of the world, but connected to a bunch of women doing the same thing. And um, I'm certainly one of the directions I will definitely be taking the coven in this year is, is as a form of, of spiritual and ecological activism. We need to, you know, we're at a crisis point. We need to do whatever we can. And there's certainly a feeling that we don't know what to do or how to do. Like, yes, we can throw money at it at the moment. And I'm not saying don't, please, God Almighty, please do. Uh, we need all of the support that we can at the moment because we're not getting it from our government. Um, so we've got an, an enormous amount of species that we're going to need to caretake, land that we're going to need to caretake. And, and I just think that a part of what witchcraft offers is that connection to nature and um, uh, a woman, an Australian witch who I've studied with, Stacey DeMarco, um, she started an organisation called Nature Luster that was a few years ago that was absolutely designed to connect people back to nature. And I remember she said very clearly in this lecture that she was giving one day about it, and she said very clearly, you know, what you love, you save. So you need to love nature to want to save it. And it's quite apparent that the people that we have in government at the moment, well, they're not tree huggers, are they? They're not people who love nature. They don't give a shit about it. They see it as a resource to be exploited. They don't have a felt connection to it. The more we build our felt connection to our, the natural world around us and then broader than that, the more likely we are to go into bat for it. Because, you know, those people who have no connection to it, conveniently forget that if they absolutely destroy the earth, doesn't matter. You're not here either, mate. <laughs> it affects us all. So. Mm. Uh, I started Pacific Roots last summer and I was really happy with the way it was building. I had, you know, I'm interviewing veganic farmers and animal uh, advocacy organizations. Yeah. All sorts of things and I, I was communicating with you during this time I was really happy but as I was building there did feel like there was the missing element and finally you and I did a written interview and I said that's it it's the spirituality that the there were many people I was interviewing and talking with who are spiritual people but there was no real soulful component to the site to the media which is um, which which is an incredibly important aspect of my life maybe that was an important 
in a puzzle piece in 2019 to click for me and to also click within Pacific Roots. I say spirituality is part of sustainability. This whole site is about, I can't just talk about recycling. I'm going to talk about recycling and agriculture and hopefully learn so much about yes, species extinction and conservation and all these practical things we need to be doing, but I have to have spirituality piece. And that's where you came in as well. And I've expanded a bit. I'm very exciting, excited. Maybe we can share a little bit with listeners um, what your ideas moving forward when people can um, tune in monthly, sort of mm. a little forecast of, um, I know we're very organic um, and listeners can expect that for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think we, I think we under, underestimate how important that aspect is. And for a lot of people, if they associate spirituality with a difficult religious experience, whether that was one that was forced upon them or, or some of the more sinister aspects of that, um, then it, it, can be, it can be hard to know where to start. And I think one of the, one of the best ways to, to feel that is nature. You know, is to go for a walk in a forest, to to stand and gawp at a natural wonder, to dive into the ocean. I mean, there's nothing better. I always, I mean, that was one of my favourite hashtags, I think, when I first started writing, nature is my church. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that that idea that it, it sort of, it starts and finishes there. Um, I, I just think, you know, the thing about nourishing the spirit is that it really fosters peace a peace within you. And I think you see that with deeply spiritual people. They have this peace about them. They have this really beautiful, settled energy. And, you know, obviously that's something that <laughs> we can try and approximate. Uh, we can, you know, give it a red hot go. But I, I think you, I think it's really important and, and very often underestimated that aspect and how important it is to us. And, and I think, yeah, it's horses for courses. I mean, the history of war in the world is also very much tethered to notions of the one true God, you know, of whose imaginary friend is the best and the most obvious. Uh, and there's been wars fought over that for centuries. There's been many lives lost and many hearts broken over that. And there's just many ways to do it. I mean, I do feel like a big part of the direction society is moving into and possibly why it feels that we're a long way away from it now because it gets darkest before the dawn. Um, I think one of the directions that we are moving into is, is one that is sort of less binary and more fluid. We've certainly seen that happen with gender and we've sort of seen it sort of starting to happen a little bit with race, not as fast. And I think that, you know, when we start to get to the notion of community and oneness, it's less about separation and about the fact that we are all in this together and that we are all here. And, you know, it'd really help if we just get along and work together. I think that is going to be part of what emerges in the age of Aquarius, which is, you know, months or years away, depending who you speak with. Um, I, th I think it's a big part of it. And so to be able to be part of that, you need to have reconciled your own bias. 
you need to have sat with your own belief systems or indeed the ones that you grew up with that perhaps actually don't work for you. You need to be able to do that to sort of have a, a bit more of a, well, a bit more of a clear tablet, I guess, mm -hmm. to work with. And, and I think we don't do a lot of that work, of our own work. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's my little corner of the world. I'm in it all the time and that's what I do with my clients. So um, obviously I'm very focused on it, but I think it shows in our world that a lot of people aren't, that the us and them mentality is deeply entrenched and very dangerous. What did you say, the us or them mentality? Mm. <clears throat> that is reaching a fever pitch in many places as well. Ah, oh, isn't it? It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying at the at the the staggering lack of understanding and the indoctrination. Very, very much so. There's a there's a lot of astrological echoes at the moment that hark back to the rise of fascism in the 30s, Second World War, and the atomic bomb. First World War. There's there's a lot of echoes that way where unless we can look back and remember what happened and maybe where we went wrong as a species we have some hope of stopping that happening in the future i mean you know the problem with a de declaration of war for example is that the people who declare the war don't fight the war they don't risk their lives they don't live and die i mean i think most of us would be happy right now to sort of give them a couple of swords and send them out on a barge somewhere and go, you know what, guys, just fight it out yourselves. Just dragging all of us into it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. We should not be the pawns for... No. There's so much that came up in this. I think we'll, we'll, um, we're closing down this talk soon. We're coming to the end, but there's so much that you brought up. I make them very excited to do regular talks with you because there's so much that I hope to touch on in talk. For example, the activism as righteous rage. I just wrote, I wrote that down um, when you said that, because I think there's also a notion that, and I've grappled with this, 2019 was a time for me to grapple with, <clears throat> even if I consider myself a spiritual person, who's interested in meditation, peace, holistic, living this and that, I still have these emotions and I have to learn to work with them. You cannot just turn them off um, and you can't feel guilty. That's really key. That's, uh, that's so key, I think, and, and really key in my work as well is that uh, we, are, we are encouraged to think our feelings. We're encouraged to rationalise them or reframe them to turn them into something palatable. The emotional body is a signalling system. We're just not reading the signals. And, and also, too, we have this idea that there's a bunch of emotions that are desirable and a bunch of emotions that are undesirable. Falls again into that good, bad thing. And anger is the one particularly that there's a very fraught relationship with, even more so if you're female. Um, and I think that there haven't always... You, you know, it was better, a lot of people would prefer to have had that shut down than actually have to sit in it. You know, anger shows you where you've been disrespected. That's handy information. You're supposed to get angry about that stuff because anger is very activating and anger makes you take action. So uh, I think one of the things that, you know, kind of the... <laughs> the 
the spiritual trapdoor, I think, can be this idea that, you know, I'm bigger than my thoughts and I'm better than my emotions and I'm just, you know, loving and lighting the shit out of stuff up here. It's just ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. It is the most glorious form of bypassing the human condition that exists. We are here to have a human experience, all the feelings, all the messy bits, all the tangled up in our heads, all the trying to wrangle all this stuff. We're supposed to be here to actually learn to understand ourselves and to know ourselves. And you can't just skip the emotional body. It's some of the most important information. And it's a disservice to the self to... Yes. Light all the time. It's a disservice to your shadow. You you talk about the shadow so much. Another one of the constantly, things. constantly. Yeah. <laughs> all I bang on about. <laughs> I have to share that it was also through 2000. See, I'm reflecting about 2019 now. It was through 2019. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> post through your writing that I learned to associate with the new moon in a new way that dark time used to be kind of strange for me. And I think even for mm. people who are not interested in lunar phases, if you started to pay attention, you're like, oh yeah, that's interesting. Many people are aware of the full moon and maybe hospitals say, mm. is, is that true? The, there's more influx of this. That's kind of like modern lore, right? About all the activity, but the new moon is a more, well, hidden. It's not as talked about and um, the dark. No, well, I think it, I, I think unfortunately, again, um, especially when people first come to moon work, and, and I think it's absolutely crucial, especially if you're female and you have a menstrual cycle that matches the moon cycle, kind of important. The moon controls fluid metabolism in plants and animals on earth. It controls our tides. So if you think that we are, what, 70-something percent water, it's insane to then think that it doesn't have an impact on us. When people start working with the moon, they frequently just work with the new moon and the full moon. So the new moon, kind of that new beginning idea and the full moon being the peak. Um, my favourite phase of the moon is the dark moon. That's the one you would have been reading me um, carry on about all the time. And so the dark moon is the three days prior to the new moon. So... From the new moon, the moon waxes to full. So you see the moon get bigger and bigger and bigger and become full. And then after the full moon, it wanes to the dark moon. So you can see it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And when the new moon arrives, you actually can't see it in the sky. It has disappeared. The new moon and then you get that. Yeah, and then, and then the day after the new moon, you get the teeny tiny little crescent moon, tiny little smile in the sky. That, it's dark. Yeah. So yeah, up until the up until the moment of the new moon, and these are precise moments because although people think astrology is this wafty thing, it's all math. These are very precise moments. Um, the dark moon is the three days prior. It's called the balsamic phase, which I just think is beautiful because it is like treacle. And if you are aligning yourself to the moon, as I do then the dark moon is a time of rest and introspection. It is the point where you can actually make sense of your month. We, we, we live in a world on fast forward. Everyone's supposed to be galloping all the time. Rest is frowned upon. You know, we are the only <laughs> species really that, that will just push through the need for rest. And rest is important. It is regeneration. So to actually build that into your month is really life-changing. 
And I think as well, if you can just get still and quiet and unhook and unplug, all things that are absolutely worth doing at any time. But if you can do that during the dark moon and just be left alone, which is why I always post those far-flung dark moon bolt holes or at some gorgeous cabin in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, if you can actually get the quiet time, don't overschedule yourself, let yourself sleep long, nourish yourself, look after yourself. There's an enormous intuitive benefit. You get guided. You 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 start to realise what you're ready to let go of and what you might be making space to invite in on the new moon. Um, it's a really powerful way to work and certainly it's part of the coven as well. That That's always part of the coven as well. I, I don't think I... <laughs> I don't know when the last time I was... I skipped a full moon in terms of writing why it's so hardwired into me. So, yeah, that's all part of the coven too. You know, I have to, I have to just emphasise I've come to just treasure the dark moon time, whereas for you... Mm, me too. Love it for me though and it's through your writing um mm. space and through my own time with myself that um i guess getting acquainted with the shadow side it's mm. never too late it's never too late <laughs> well i also too i think that um i think you have a different relationship with your shadow depending what stage of your life you're in I mean, I work with people at all stages of their lives and uh i think yeah it's 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 really interesting how different the relationship is between someone who's, who's, you know, freshly adulting, someone who's really approximating the middle of their life and then someone who's drawing conclusions at the end. It's a very different process. You're right that it's never too late, but I think the most important thing to do is shift some of these stupid ideas around the shadow. You know, the idea of the devil on your shoulder, that it's my dark side, that it's my evil twin. It's actually your power and it's all of the things about yourself that you have been told by other people make you unlovable or unworthy. So you've tucked them down deep somewhere inside of you, but they are parts of you. And whoever else told you that, that's actually their shit, not yours, but it happens to us when we're kids and we have no power and no agency and no language and no understanding. So I, I always feel that shadow work is, is a journey of reclamation. You've got stuff happening in your life on repeat that's actually starting to give you the shits. You're starting to realise, I think one of the key precursors to shadow work is when you stop thinking it's everybody else's fault. And you have that terrible, terrible moment where you go, oh, shit, I'm the only person in common with all this crap happening all the time. Maybe it's me. So that's a, that's a big part of it as well. But, it, you know, it's a... I actually think shadow work is one of the most precious kindnesses that you can give to yourself. And I couldn't love shadow work more, even though sometimes it's hard yards, even though sometimes we have to go back to things that were really painful. Um, what we're doing is going back to get those parts of ourselves that we lost. Right. And that's so powerful and it's such a beautiful thing to witness. Oh, it's beautiful. I can imagine the emotions mm. of your work. That's oh, huge. Mm. Yeah. So listeners can also yeah. do, 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 do do sessions with people, these shadow work sessions, but multiple types of sessions. Um, yeah. Well, the shadow work is the shadow work is a program that I've designed. So when I do shadow work with someone, um, you know, I have a I have a prospectus that I send to people so they can get a clue about what it's about, and then we do a chat like this. All of that's obviously at no charge. Um, you know, just to just to kind of 
see if they feel ready and if that's what they want to do and so that they can ask all the questions and all the things they're scared about. It's always good to get that out of the way first. Um, and yeah, the, the process we meet online every week or two and then there's follow-up questions and journaling and homework experiences, I call them. Um, because yeah, there's a lot of encouraging you to get connected in a lot of different ways. Um, and yeah, just work with it. the whole, the way the program is designed is that it's pay as you go, because I think that can sometimes be prohibitive for people. The idea of having to commit, you know, more than the cost of your car <laughs> to do it. And I think one of the one of the things that's really difficult for people when they're struggling with their stuff, for want of a better term, is is access to care and access to support, and you know. I, I really specifically tried to make this program um, available and easy for people uh, to access, no matter where they're at. So there's options for part payment, there's options for payment plans, all of that sort of stuff. Because, because I know for me, uh, there's been things that I've wanted to do that I haven't been able to do because those options weren't there. So it's really important to me that the program works for the person who's doing it rather than for me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm holding the space for you. So it's got to work for you. Um, and then, but then I do do shadow sessions as a one-off. A lot of my tarot readings turn into shadow sessions because I'm all about the shadow. I can't help myself. <laughs> it's constant. Mm. I'm grateful for that and to know you and to be chatting. Mm. Oh, so also I wondered if you had anything to say in closing, moving up towards this full moon in cancer eclipse. I can't even say it laughing. It's really, well, and it's really funny too, because it's one of those, it's one of those ones where to actually write it takes three lines on Instagram, like to actually write everything that's going to be happening this, this week and this weekend. I mean, we have the we have the full moon eclipse. Basically, every there's all, there's a whole lot of planets in Capricorn. It's called a stellium when you've got five planets in Capricorn. So, you know, it's, it's more than half our solar system in Capricorn. It's a, it's a hell of a cluster. And uh, so Mercury is kind of going past all of them, going bam, bam, bam as he goes. So that sort of magnifies energy there. That's the build-up to the full moon. And one of the things about any regular full moon is that that energy builds up. As you pointed out before, you know, anecdotally, there's, you know, kids go crazy, there's higher hospital emissions, there's more ambulance calls, all of that sort of thing. There is a measurable effect. And so we are definitely ramping towards that full moon. On top of that, the full moon is an eclipse. Um, and it's going to, it's, I think it's actually visible in Australia. I'm not sure about your part of the world, but um, yeah, I'll be running around very early <laughs> Sunday morning trying to see it as I do. Um, so when an, an eclipse is um, absolutely a magnification, and this is a lunar eclipse because eclipses come in pairs. You've got your solar eclipse first and your lunar eclipse second. And um, in traditional astrology and the traditional law, solar eclipse brings you something and the lunar eclipse takes something away. So. Then on top of all of that, as though that wasn't enough, then we have this, you know, epochal Saturn-Pluto 
meetup that has been just talked about endlessly for the last few years. And these are, you know, Saturn is all about structure and Pluto is all about chaos. So chaos and structure are about to slam into each other, hot on the heels of an eclipse. And just after Uranus turns direct from his retrograde, now Urania is our wake-up call and our planet of shock. <laughs> so we're combining shock and transformation and structure. Like you can actually see it in the world right now. You know, whichever direction, whichever dumpster fire you're looking at right now from your part of the world, you can actually see it out your window. You can see how these old structures are rumbling and how the people in power are getting more desperate to cling onto it because they can feel, even if they don't want to admit it, that they're starting to lose it. And no one knows what's coming next because if we're talking about the age of Aquarius, it's visionary. And the thing about visionary stuff is that it's not built on what we already have. So, yeah, this is a, this is a massive week. It's a big week in astrology. It would, it would have its own talk show if that was how astrology worked. It's huge. And so I'll, I'll be writing about it. I've been writing a lot this week. I definitely got very knocked off my spot by the fires because I, I find it really, really traumatic and um, have a lot of friends in a lot of different areas who've been really deeply impacted by them. So um, I found that really knocked me off my spot. And, it's, and I've got to be honest, it's really hard to write about fever pitch astrology like this when your whole country is burning and everyone's in traumatic overload. Well, and knowing that you're there, I think some of us want to know, hear that from you and your perspective and get some fresh insight because we trust you. So those of us who are listening to you and on your channels, we, we are looking for that too, I think. Mm, yeah, I've, I definitely, I'm definitely feeling that I, that I'm plan, you know, I'm really planning to expand that to accommodate what's happening now. So, although all of the astrological content that I just love writing about, like I just, I, I see, I don't do personal astrology. I do, I call it astrology for the collective. I, I, it feels to me like a real marriage between astrology and mythology for me, and history. <laughs> banging on about history all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel that part of what I am going to be bringing into my work this year is very much about the, you know, the navigation of this transition, the navigation of this rebirthing. You know, it's, it's said that everything that happens on the little stage in your life happens on the big stage and vice versa. And given what we're seeing happen on the big stage right now, you can you can see the echoes of, of what was going on in a lot of our little stages last year. This is fascinating. Well, I learned more about you too. I love mythology, so that's that is exciting. Oh, me too. Oh my god, those stories, absolutely. I mean, I and I also too. I collect fairy tales as well. So there's a you know there's a big aspect of that to it as well. You really, it's palpable in your work, you're reading your writing. And I mean, for anybody listening, you have to go check out um, so your handles. I will also link to them that you're on Facebook. Um, yep, I'm on, um, I've got my, uh, so it's Boho Mofo, and that's on Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I do, I do have a website that's <laughs> currently gloriously out of date. That's on the list for January as well. Uh, but yeah, that most of I I 
certainly hold myself to the discipline of writing because a big part of being a writer is practice. You got to do it all the time to, you know, to really hone your craft. And um, sometimes it's not just about waiting for the lightning to strike. It's about actually putting your bum on the seat and writing. And so, yeah, I, I really hold myself to the discipline of writing regularly. It's a, it's a sure sign that I'm kind of wobbling about something if you don't see me post for about four days. <laughs> send help, send cakes. <laughs> you are, I will say you are, you are very rhythmic. You're very reliable with what you put out. And that, mm. um, I'm a writer as well, and that is tr tremendous to see because I am aware of the discipline that really requires it. Yeah, well, it is. It's discipline. It's discipline, absolutely. And I've got um, there's a I've got an aspect in my chart that's Capricorn, Mars in Capricorn, so it it makes that easier. It predisposes me to it. Well, and but you're also writing, you're writing, and this is also what makes your work remarkable is you're writing about the currents, which is very live. You're like a reporter too, in a sense of. Um, oh, that's lovely. That's so nice that you say that. I wanted to be a journalist when I was young. That was what I really, really wanted to be was a journalist. There was this um, when I was growing up. There was this fabulous 60 Minutes reporter. Um, her name's Jana Vent, and she used to travel around the world, you know, this, this incredible, very intelligent, very softly spoken um, woman who would be, you know, travelling to interview the Ayatollah Khomeini who looked like he wanted to kill her. And she just, she was one of those real war zone, like Martha Gellhorn style reporters. And, uh, oh, my God. I just thought she was the bee's name. So yeah, it was, it was, and I mean, and funnily enough, when I left school, I actually wanted to be a political speech writer because I'd been such a student of history. Oh, I don't have to stomach politics at all. God almighty. I'd just be throwing tantrums the whole time. But, um, but yeah, I, I really, I just, you know, being a student of history, those, those major speeches, you know, I'd always sit there and think, well, who wrote those words for JFK? Or who wrote those words for, you know, you can tell someone who's really just speaking and then you can tell someone who's, who's got a speechwriter. You can tell by the difference in syntax. But I can see that with the political writing, in fact, because you have an um, ability to, to capture the zeitgeist. Mm. Have that. And you've taken it now to this, really, you're like a myth a reporter of, of mythic proportions because you're now reporting. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Um, and I'm not trying to just flatter you. It is, I, I mean, this is why I follow your work because it, it's, um, I, but I can see also how you could have been attracted to being um, attracted mm. to political speech writing as well because you could write, you could probably craft very powerful political speeches and capture the times and affect audiences. Yeah. And so, and certainly that's what I feel like is, is, you know, it's that bizarre thing because what I do is, is very niche. As I frequently say to people, I'm often the, you know, going to see the town witch really means you're at the last stop on the station. A lot of people will try everything else first. And uh, the, the area that I occupy with astrology and mythology and witchcraft and all of that sort of thing, also very niche. It doesn't appeal to everybody. But I get, you know, if I... <laughs> I put up a ranty post about the bushfires or a massive, you know, dissertation about what a shit prime minister we have. Um, yeah, I get monstrous engagement on my page and it gets shared everywhere. But yeah, so I, I feel like I need to, I feel like I actually need to cultivate an intersection between those two this year because 
I feel like I'm going to have a lot to rant about this year. I look forward to tuning in with you regularly about it. We'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. be there. So we will close out and until next time, next month, and we invite yeah. listeners to stay, stay in touch and check out Carrie's accounts. I'll put links uh, where I can, Bahobofo on mm. Facebook and Instagram, where you can then also go to her site and yeah. stay tuned. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you later. Bye-bye. This is Annika, and thank you for listening to the Pacific Roots Magazine podcast. Visit us online at pacificrootsmagazine.com.